Are you starting or am I starting? Um, you can start if you want. I don't remember how we start. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Re Sisters. This is Mita. This is Gita. And this is our second episode. Since the 8th of March was International Women's Day and the 31st of March is Trans Day of Visibility, we thought it would be interesting to talk about gender. As we did with our previous episode, we went to Twitter to ask people for any questions they might have. Um, and we also have questions of our own that we'll ask each other. Let me just like preface this by saying that we're both still just trying to like figure out what gender is. <laughs> yeah. And I hope it makes you feel like you need to do your own research on it, I guess. You should never look to us as authoritative sources on anything. No. But we <laughs> want to share, you know, our own reflections and our own experiences with regards to gender. I guess the most obvious question is introducing ourselves and how we identify in that sense. So... This has been like kind of a journey for me, <laughs> but my gender is cute bitch. <laughs> and my pronouns are they, them. I realized that I kind of prefer something that's more gender neutral. And what's yours? Yeah, I think for me also, it's been a journey and it's something that I am still exploring. So I don't expect it to be static. My answer usually to that question is that I don't do gender. I think of myself as existing in resistance to the concept of gender. Like if I'm forced to identify my gender, I will say that I'm a women aligned gender queer. For me, that just means that I'm, you know, I don't like being assigned to either man or woman. I also don't really like the whole binary situation, which is also why I personally don't like using the term non-binary because to me that still acknowledges a binary even in resistance to it so I guess that's why I prefer the term genderqueer just because it's a thing in itself and in terms of pronouns it's kind of similar where I also don't care about what pronouns people use but in mm. I guess to make things easier for other people I usually say she her or they them I have a follow-up question some people have found that like kind of normalizing putting their pronouns on like social media bios and stuff what are your thoughts on that to me, that's a difficult one. I understand why a lot of people want to normalize that. But at the same time, mm -hmm. it puts a lot of pressure on everybody to know what their gender is. And, and the truth is that a lot of people are still figuring it out. And I think it's fine for us to exist in that state of uncertainty as well. So I think it's good to share your solidarity, particularly for trans and other non-binary or genderqueer people. But um, I would definitely encourage people not to put that pressure on others who may not be as ready yet. Right. And also, I mean, remembering that the treatments of gender minorities in different parts of the world isn't equal. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, My pronouns are pending. I love that. Okay. Um, but I guess the next big question in a topic like this is obviously like, what is gender? <laughs> I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. When we talk about gender, we don't mean biological sex. Biological sex is like the physical anatomy that you have, but your gender is not related to your biological sex. Um, your gender is an identity with which you carry yourself through the world, but also it's how the world interacts with you and it influences every aspect of your life, basically, you know, everything mm -hmm. from interpersonal relationships to jobs, how much money you make, what access to resources you might have. I think mm. most people understand gender to be man and woman. And then increasingly, there are people who accept that there's like people in between. The mainstream view is either it's a binary or it's a spectrum, right? Right. It goes from masculine to feminine. There's people like me who don't think that it is a spectrum or that it is a linear mm. spectrum anyway. So there's different ways that people understand gender. I feel like gender is just like a variable to 
divide labor. <laughs> okay. You, you know, like, because we live in a patriarchal capitalistic society, I think at some point people were like, well, I don't want to do housework. I want to go out and like make money and like feel powerful or whatever. So <laughs> they decided, okay, let's have genders then. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that's a really interesting answer because I think something that's often been discussed is obviously the relationship between gender and other variables like race and class. One perspective is that gender and race are modalities through which class is exercised, which is mm. kind of what you're describing. But then there are other people who argue that, you know, if you look at traditional societies, some mm. societies have very deeply entrenched ideas of gender. So, you know, is it fair for people to say that, oh, well, gender is like a colonial thing or gender is like a new thing that came about with like modern capitalism? I think that's a conversation that still needs to be had. Which, you know, I think brings me to another question, which is around gender performativity, which is like a term mm. that's often used now in especially academic discourse ever since Judith Butler wrote that book, Gender Trouble. There's a lot of criticism since then about her perspective on gender, but um, I do think that it's a useful lens for people to, who are maybe still trying to understand different ways to be gender. I guess for people who might not have heard about it, Performativity is not the same thing as performance. We are not performing gender. What she means by this is it's actually taken from theory of performativity as it applies to speech and utterance. I think the first person to uh, to talk about uh, performative speech is J.L. Austin with the idea of utterance. So basically what he means is words that when we say them, it has an effect, like it changes reality in some way. So one example is like when a cop arrests you and they say like, you're under arrest. By saying that, he is arresting you. Another example is when you say, I resign at work. By saying it, you actually do resign. And so Butler used this idea and applied it to gender in the sense that like prior to this, I think most people thought of gender as like an innate thing where like mm. you have a gender identity and then that influences how you behave or the way that you talk or the way that you dress. But Butler's whole idea is that actually gender is performative because it's actually through our actions, through our gestures, through our speech that we create our gender identity. So rather than gender identity being something inside us that we then project outwards through our actions, mm -hmm. there's actually a constitutive relationship between that identity and those actions. Therefore, gender is something that we are continuously creating. Other people have said it much more succinctly, which is that gender isn't something that is, it's something that we do. Uh, I wonder if I understood this correctly. So like in the sense, is gender something that you grow to adopt based on what kind of values or like norms exist in the society that you live in? I think it can be, but it doesn't have to be. I think the idea is that gender is creative. So we create gender and it can be whatever we want it to be. So for a lot of people, it does mean adopting to existing norms, but it doesn't have to be. And I think that's where a lot of like our genderqueer or non-binary friends come in is because they're creating their own definition of what their gender is. Mm, okay. I guess something that I am conscious of whenever I'm discussing like Butler or any other sort of Western derived mm -hmm. theories about gender is that it, it's often seen as contradictory to traditional concepts of gender mm -hmm. that aren't fluid, you know? I don't think the context is similar enough. For example, like the Bisu is like, a, it has like a very rigid spiritual basis to it. Yeah. In a way, I don't think it's comparable to like the man, woman, gender binary. Mm. It almost feels like it shouldn't be classified as the same thing. Interesting. 
because yeah. with abusive for example you know because it's something that like with it comes certain social expectations and roles that you have to fulfill right but i think i guess what that example shows is how interlinked gender is still to social structure and like class division mm. but speaking of i guess how many genders are there <laughs> um none <laughs> <laughs> It's, I, I think it's like either none or all or infinite. Um, there's a debate, the mm-hmm. idea that people want more categories and like more boxes for people to tick. So that's one camp. Mm-hmm. And then I guess on the other camp, there's people who think that, you know, we should do away with the idea of gender identities altogether. And that mm-hmm. well, however we express ourselves should not have any bearing on our social, economic, political realities. Right. I think the latter is the ideal and the former is kind of from what i understand it's like our current realities right now there are differences in how society treats people based on how society perceives their gender and i think establishing like these categories puts to light the differences in people's experiences i guess right so this is a related question from twitter um somebody asked can i identify as a man but also identify as non-binary i guess the answer is that's totally up to you (laughs) i was gonna say it's like if you want (laughs) yeah you can definitely identify as a man and non-binary because you know maybe sometimes you feel like a man but other times you don't feel so much like a man you know right and i guess that's why i personally identify as woman aligned I still experience the world mostly as a woman, but I don't personally think of myself as a woman in the sense that I feel bound by what that means based on what society's prescribed to me. In case this helps, like another way that they identify as masculine, non-binary. I guess go back to the question of like, why is it important to you? Yeah. I think and just kind of like, you know, investigate the core of it and understand yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but I think ultimately only you can decide that for yourself. So the next question is how you got to where you are in terms of gender identification and if that had to do with how you were raised, if at all. I'm actually interested in like what your answer is for this. Well, I asked the question, so. (laughs) (laughs) Very early on in life, we watched Sailor Moon and then I saw Sailor Uranus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I was like, huh, mood. In the manga or comics, they do describe Haruka as genderqueer. Like, this person is someone who embodies masculinity and femininity. You know, like, seeing that, it was just like, oh, okay. So that's that's the thing that exists. And then after that, I kind of proceeded to just wear blazers. I don't know if you remember that, but, like, when I was maybe four until seven or something, like, every time we had to go out, I wore blazers because I saw Haruka Teno wear blazers. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I think it was largely defined by how we were raised and that like it didn't really put much of an emphasis in like gender roles. Yeah, I think we were lucky Um, to have, you know, certainly at least for their generation, relatively feminist mm. mother and a little bit father. (laughs) Both of our parents were working. And so, you know, there was never any expectations that a man should do this versus a woman should do that. So in terms of that binary, I think it was largely absent for us. That said, I do remember that some things were gendered, like I wasn't allowed to do certain things because I was a girl or a woman, Mm. me not being able to go hiking or camping because I'm a girl. Um, And, you know, that was something that I really loved doing. So, I mean, I still ended up doing it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) 
our parents are still, you know, boomers. So I don't think their understanding has expanded to include like the fact that gender is infinite, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The next question, I actually kind of emotional, but is there a way for gender not to hurt? When I read this question, like my heart kind of sank a little bit. Oh, seems like an earnest question yeah well first of all i, I guess wish. whoever sent this question i hope you're all right and yeah, that you're not currently um, hurting and if you are i hope you find ways to cope i only have like an emotional response to this it's just like to say i wish but i don't know i think like this goes back to like how i interpreted gender as like something that's you know a form of class division in that i don't think gender as a concept can continue to exist in a way that's not destructive or violent in what way do you think gender is violent? I guess just like like the way that like gender minorities are subjected to literal violence. We are recording this like a few days after the murder of like numerous women in the United States, for example. I guess like, you know, people getting evicted from their own homes or like their families' homes, being disowned by their families, you know, not being able to walk alone at night. And then, you know, sort of high profile cases of trans women being like beaten or yeah, murdered. Like that is like their day to day reality. You know, like it's a continuous and traumatic experience that causes pain long after the incident might have happened and to see it keep happening to their friends or their sisters you know i just want to take this opportunity also to say fuck turfs <laughs> like we haven't yeah. addressed this specifically just yet but you know for those who don't know like turf is trans exclusionary radical mm -hmm. feminists who basically don't think trans women are women you also see it in feminists who put so much emphasis on like the biological aspects of being a woman I'm not calling out anybody specific here, but <laughs> for example, <laughs> if you go out on like the Women's March and then you see somebody carrying like a bright pink poster with ovaries on the mm. poster, but it's like, wait a minute, not every woman has ovaries. I, I don't know. I really want us to all just be a lot more conscious and careful whenever we talk about these biological frameworks. I think the other type of pain around gender is a lot of internal pain as well. I don't know. Do you want to talk about gender dysphoria a little bit? It's not fun. <laughs> I don't like realize it at the time that what I was experiencing was dysphoria, but like I was raised uh, a girl. In my mind, there's like a certain things that I identify with womanhood that I try to emulate in my lifetime. I'm, I'm sure it's like different for everybody. But like for me, what I felt was, you know, trying to be something like continuously failing at it. And it was very frustrating. Mm. I do mm -hmm. want to try to bring mm -hmm. this to more optimistic outlook. So I guess, right. you know... <laughs> What strategies have you found helpful to come to terms with this? Uh, being in a pandemic helps <laughs> in that it limits social situations where I'm expected to behave a certain way. Yeah, I don't know if avoiding all social <laughs> situations is a sustainable solution, but... Well, okay, but like, you know, a lot of mental health issues is a societal problem, you know? And like, it, I think it's unfair to like put it on the individual to be like, what are your healthy coping mechanisms? Like, well, society hasn't helped me much with that. Why do I have to fix all the problems that I have? Yes, claps, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, so gender can stop hurting if we decide to make it stop hurting for others and ourselves. What's your experience? Like, do you experience dysphoria as well or no? No, but that's because, you know, I think my relationship to gender is different. There's still a lot of people, even in progressive circles, who think of it as a sort of cis-trans binary. And that can mm. be difficult for people who identify as anything else but that. Right. 
I guess like a hopeful perspective on it is that looking back on how much the conversation has shifted, even in like the last five years, gives you hope that, you know, we are progressing and like we're mm-hmm. learning from each other and from ourselves. So I guess the last uh, question is is a lot lighter, <laughs> which is... Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite books, writing, artwork, movies, shows, etc. that meaningfully deal with the theme of gender? Sailor Moon, <laughs> obviously. The other thing is Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is a musical that's written and directed by John Cameron Mitchell. So the musical is about a queer singer-songwriter who had a gender reassignment surgery, but not necessarily because they were genderqueer. And you kind of go through Hedwig's uh, life story. And it kind of like just made me realize that you know, who we are as creators, as people, goes beyond one's gender or like society's perception of your gender identity. I guess I'll add some film references into there. Um, a classic is Paris is Burning, which is a documentary about the ball and voguing scene in New York City, I think in the like late 80s, early 90s. There's a lot of criticisms about the documentary, mostly because I think the filmmakers didn't do enough to make sure that the women they interviewed got help that they needed. Like nothing was really done to change their material conditions. But it, it is, I think, a really eye-opening documentary about how these women understood themselves and like what are their aspirations and dreams about being part of that community. And more recently as well, I really liked Moonlight. I mean, a lot of people talk about how it deals with sexuality, but I think it also forwards like really poignant portraits of different kinds of masculinity. And then... This isn't so much that it deals seriously with the theme of gender, but I really liked Booksmart, directed by Olivia Wilde. It's about these like two best friends in high school, both girls. I think it was just so refreshing to see these characters live their teenage realities without having the sort of like male gaze imposed upon these girls mm-hmm. as we so often are used to seeing in like teenage dramas or films. So these are all like Western films. I'm, I'm very aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, we could dedicate a whole episode, I think, in terms of like queer filmmaking or queer writing and art making that the reason why there isn't more of it coming from Indonesia. And the thing is, I should say, like, there's actually a lot of like really amazing and creative queer and trans artists, musicians, drag Mm -hmm. performers, people on TikTok, you know, who are creating all sorts of amazing content that unfortunately has not had the platform or audience that it should. I know I am also still not doing enough in terms of seeking out works by authors that are genderqueer. I mean, it's important not only for, I think, our own kind of education, right? In terms of like, oh, well, this taught me a lot about gender, but also because like, Mm -hmm. I want those people to get paid. (laughs) If you're ever thinking like, oh, like, how can I support queer creators? make life easier for them and safer for them to create truthfully you know i think that's actually a perfect place to end this episode uh yeah so uh thank you for commenting your questions so yeah thanks everyone and see you next episode well can i talk about like when i was offered um a prostate <laughs> yes you can <laughs> no let's cut it here <laughs> <laughs>